We're now officially in tornado season. In view of the tornadoes rolling across the Midwest on Monday and the Southeast on Tuesday night, and expected to continue up the East Coast today, we're reaching back to March the 14th of 2021 to episode number 35, and it's entitled Prepare Now for the Coming Tornadoes. Even if you're not affected by these tornadoes, we need to check our tornado preps, be sure we have our safe place, be sure we have multiple ways to receive warnings, and pay attention in this episode as we reach out and try to get folks to prepare for the tornadoes which are surely to come. This is a rewind, but we hope you enjoy and we hope you find it useful. Prepping Podcast. We're helping everyday people become prepared for whatever emergencies come our way. Where gear is good, but knowledge is better because the more you know, the less you have to carry. We're your hosts, Mark and Krista Lawley. We would appreciate it if you would consider supporting our podcast by buying us a cup of coffee. You can do that by going to www.buymeacoffee.com slash Practical Prep. This episode is brought to you by Practical Prepping for Everyday People, a common sense guide on preparing for life's emergencies, available on Amazon and wherever books are sold. If you would like an autographed copy, drop us an email at info at practicalprepping.info and we will send you the details. We're recording this episode on Sunday, March the 14th. And one of the reasons that this is a very important episode is across the South, we are predicted to have some long track tornadoes across Mississippi and Alabama this coming Wednesday. So if you're in the Southeast, you be weather aware on Wednesday because we do have those possible long track tornadoes coming through. Now, I'm joined tonight by my partner and my partner in life, Krista. Hey there. How are you doing tonight? I'm doing great. How are you doing? Doing good. Thank you. Got something for us there, some shout outs. Yes, we thought we'd do something a little different right now. We've been tracking several of the locations of listeners, those who have downloaded our podcast. And this is just a random and very short list, but we thought it might be fun just to make mention of them, just to be able to acknowledge that we've got folks listening all over the country, and in some cases, all over the globe. I think when I looked the other day, it was 23 countries and 494 cities. Well, here's just a short list of a few, and we want to say thank you and keep downloading. We want to give a shout-out to Westlake Stevens, Washington, to Dallas, Texas, to Blackheath, England, to Clichy, Ile-de-France. I left that for you to say. (laughs) I'm sure I massacred that, but anyway. Anchorage, Alaska, the Guam Government House, Halifax, Nova Scotia, and last but not least, our friends in Moscow, Russia. That's amazing. Isn't that cool? And that's a very, very short list. Like I said, last time I looked, it was 494 cities across the world, and we appreciate each and every one of you joining with us on a weekly basis for this podcast. Hopefully, we're imparting some good info to you. And tonight, we're covering tornadoes. These occur quite regularly, and we're coming into 
tornado season. There are different strengths of tornadoes, and those are measured with the enhanced Fujita scale. EF. EF0 through EF5. My best defense for an EF5 is be underground or don't be there. Give us a few statistics about the tornadoes that we can look at tonight. Well, a tornado can strike anywhere in the lower 48 United States. And in some cases, tornadoes have struck in every month of the calendar year. The prime time is through the months of April through June, right at at the spring, the beginning of the spring and early summer season, with April being some of the strongest tornadoes on record, and with May being the most numerous occurrences of tornadoes. June has the most days with tornadoes, and in the south, we actually have a secondary tornado season. Right. It's odd. It comes in the fall. We've had quite a number. Now, they're not near as strong but we've had a number of tornadoes that come across the southeast, especially during the secondary season during the fall. One of the most important things that we'll say tonight is that you must have multiple ways to receive warnings. The most important that you need in your home would be an NOAA NOAA weather radio. This is a radio that can be powered with electrical circuit and also battery backup. It will enable the wireless emergency alerts, known as WEA, on your phone. Make sure your cell phone can also receive wireless emergency alerts. That's the notification, and you'll find it on your phone under notifications, and it's called the wireless emergency alerts or the WEA. It may be abbreviated that way on your phone, but this is the same system that we get amber alerts and now silver alerts on. And so with the season coming in, tornado warnings, flash flood warnings, severe thunderstorm warnings, the types of storm impact that might be of very serious nature will come through on your cell phone. Make sure that you've got those current and downloaded on there. Absolutely. And there are a number of apps that are available. Your local television station probably has one. If they have a good weather department, they'll certainly have a weather app. I know all of these around here do. And other places that we've been and lived and visit, they have weather apps as well. But you need multiple ways to receive weather alerts, particularly warnings and watches. Now, one of the big ones that we see is television and radio. The television, primarily with everywhere that I'm familiar with now, when there's any type of severe weather, they go wall to wall in their coverage. And I know that, you know, I've got some friends that work for National Weather Service and some that are meteorologists, and they say that they get complaint calls from people when they go wall to wall on the weather. And these folks are not in the affected area. They're complaining because they interrupted what they were watching. You know, that's just one of those things that you're just going to have to live with that because we now know and statistics bear out that wall-to-wall coverage on warnings actually have saved lives. Saves many lives. And those lives that have been saved have been very good about communicating with those meteorologists to say thank you for going wall-to-wall because the life you saved today was mine. And that means a lot. Now, another thing that you can do is with a AM, FM radio, usually on FM, you will find some radio stations will simulcast the television weather coverage. So if you're not able to see a TV, 
then you can have an FM radio with you and find that wall-to-wall coverage. And you don't have to be able to see the maps. They do a very good job of telling you where that tornado is headed at that particular time. They've been able to pinpoint a specific area of a county, a road, a neighborhood by name. And so that's something that people do listen for as well. These guys do a very, very good job of looking and keeping you posted of that. Most of us, at least in the United States, we're familiar with the outdoor sirens. These are very dated. Some of those are no longer working. And I don't think they're replacing very many of those as they go out because of the cost and the inefficiency of letting people know that are inside the house. Right. Some people have complained that the outdoor siren may have sounded, but a very small amount of people actually heard it. So we're trying to stress that you cannot depend on an outdoor siren to be your main source of information. Especially if you're inside the house. Now, if you're sitting out in the backyard, you may be able to hear that. But if there's a lot of noise going on, you still need that phone or something to give you those warnings. Speaking of warnings, you know the difference between a watch and a warning? You know, a lot of people are still confused about this because watch and warning may kind of sound almost a little bit alike. But a tornado watch means that there's a broad area of issuance and the conditions are favorable or right for the formation of a tornado. But that is a watch, meaning that all the elements exist where one might possibly form, but hasn't yet. Now, a warning is really a very localized issuance, and there is a possible tornado that's been detected on radar, or it's been observed and called in to the National Weather Service. And these are usually issued by county And more and more, they're issued by polygon. They draw the polygon on the map, and you have to respect that polygon if you're inside it. I know years ago, we'd get a warning uh, for the county I lived in, and I lived literally on the line. The end of our property line was the county line, and the distance to the other end of the county was approximately 50 miles. And so you'd get a lot of warnings down there, and I'd get up, and I would check the weather and find out that it's 50 miles away from us going northeast, so it's not going to affect us at all. But now they localize those much more so, and it starts at the area that they think is the tornado, and then it goes out in a cone shape of where that tornado could possibly go. The most important thing we're trying to tell you here is to heed the warnings. Tornadoes do not give you the luxury of a tremendous amount of notice time. They're not like hurricanes. A hurricane that give you can days. give you a week to let you know it's coming. A tornado can literally be moments, maybe even seconds. And it's even worse in the dark of night because now you're not viewing the tornado. You're you're hearing it or you're feeling it. So right. and, you may only have minutes. And if it's rain wrapped, you you may not mm-hmm. see it at all. But some of the spin ups, I call them spin up tornadoes. It's those that appear and they might run a couple of blocks and then they dissipate or lift up. 
Our daughter was near one of those here just a few weeks back. It went in the middle of the night. There was no tornado warning because by the time the radar makes its revolutions and they're able to confirm it, it's gone. There and so gone. It, it was a 30-second spin-up tornado, and I call those spin-ups. And you may have that where you don't get warning. So if you're having warnings around you, you need to be paying attention to that. And for goodness sake, heed the warnings. Have a safe place and have a tornado plan. If you don't have a safe place or a plan, make some changes. Have a safe place and have a plan, a tornado plan. If you don't have a plan, today is the day that you need to sit down and write it out. Let's say this right here. You cannot stay in a mobile home. You cannot. Mobile homes, I have seen those things where there was nothing left but the frame, and it might be 50 yards away from where it was when the tornado hit. You cannot stay in a mobile home. You need to know where your community shelter is located, and you need, if you live in a mobile home, you need to leave early. When that warning is put out and you're inside that polygon, you need to be making tracks toward that community center. Mm -hmm. Now, there are commercially built community shelters. They're scattered around. We have several in this county. But you will also find places that there are some churches that offer shelter during this time. And some schools. Some schools, courthouses, courthouse basements, about as good a place as you could be in a tornado because F5 is not going, or an EF5 is not going to take the whole courthouse down. Now, it may destroy it, but if you're in the hallways in the basement of a courthouse, you've got a lot of protection around you and you need to be making tracks toward that community shelter getting out of that mobile home early. It doesn't matter if it ends up being an EF0 or an EF5. You don't need to be in that mobile home. Now, some of the emergency shelters will allow pets and carriers, and some don't. This county has several shelters that does not allow pets to be brought into the shelter. Now, I understand that in a long-term shelter. I do understand that in a long-term shelter, but I disagree with not allowing pets to come into an emergency shelter inside a carrier, and I disagree for this reason. We love our fur babies, okay? People love their dogs, love their cats, and a lot of people, if they can't take their pet into that shelter, they're not going. They won't. And so they'd rather risk being injured by the tornado than leave their pets outside the shelter and go in themselves. I understand that. It's not the best course of action, but that's something you need to find out ahead of time. And if one place will not allow you to bring your fur babies in, then find an alternate place that will. But know that ahead of time, know where you're going, and leave early. There are some commercially available storm shelters that you can actually purchase. We were at Lowe's not too long ago, and we actually saw a selection of different size storm shelters that could be placed in a garage, in a basement, in a carport, where you think would be a, 
a decent and good place, they can guide you on that. But right, and if, if those you've got are, no other, if you've got no other place, this may be a very good investment for you. Oh, it would be a very good investment, and I would love to have one here mounted right out there on the carport. But those are available above ground and below ground. I've seen them where they put a sphere underground, and there's a hatch with a stairway going down into it. And they're about as safe as you'll get. You get in that thing, lock it down. EF5 can go right across you. Just make pasture out of everything around you, and you will be safe inside that underground. Now, I saw a very interesting one one time. We were working in a house near Birmingham, and it was inside the basement. And this person had built against the one of the underground walls. You know, a lot of basements have one wall that's underground or two walls, something like that. And he had built a concrete block room. He built three sides and had it back against that one and attached to it. And he filled each of the concrete blocks with concrete. And it had about an eight and a half foot ceiling into the basement up to the floor joists. And he'd built it about seven feet, and then he built a concrete top on that concrete block room. And he had that door, he had a steel door that was mounted to swing in. That way he could get out of the shelter if something came down and he would be unable to open the door if it swings outward. So this gentleman had done a very good job of building a small, it was like six foot by six foot, but it was something to protect him and his wife, and it was a very good thing there. And a basement is a good place to be if you can get where those underground corners are, even if you don't have a room built in there, get in that corner, you're below ground there, and hopefully you'll be safe inside that basement. You're better off if you're surrounded on six sides by concrete, but two sides, three sides is better than no sides. So get in that basement, find you a safe place in that basement if you can. If you don't have a basement, find the smallest room on the lowest floor of the interior of your house. For example, in our house, that actually is an interior hall closet. It actually can hold us in there standing up and our carrier with our cats in it because we have gone in there during a tornado event, so we've tried it out. We wanted to put as many walls between us and everything else going on around us. So an interior closet, for lack of that, some folks have actually pulled a mattress over top of them while lying in the dry bathtub because the bathtub is pretty strong. It's pretty sturdy. It's it's a very sturdy piece of furniture I don't, I don't, protection don't protection and putting the mattress over just to shield you from any type of falling ceiling material or glass that might be flying around you do want to try to avoid any kind of windows or glass doors if you possibly can but sometimes you just don't have the luxury of a lot of time and you've got to protect yourself the best way you know how so think of that tornado plan and the time to think of that before a tornado strikes, so that you have some thought as to what to do, where to go, and how to survive it. And if you have none of these places to go, 
figure out which corner of the house is most central to the house, furthest away from as many windows as possible, maybe a bed between you and the window. Or if you if you have enough room to get under the bed, exactly. do it. But some way, uh, we lived in a house that you could get, it, it was an interior wall, and this, this house was built in 35, and it had full two-by-fours unplaned for the studs in the walls, and then it had tongue and groove over that, so it was pretty sturdy walls. And a place that we could get was the little closet there. We'd actually put our little girl in it if we needed to. But there was room there between the bed and the wall that we could get and even slide the mattress over us if we needed to. So just figure out that place that will keep you the safest in case of a tornado warning. Now, there are some supplies that you really probably need to already have in your safe place. What are some of those? If there's a way for you to have some radio or television transmission in your safe place, if you've got a, a room, a storm shelter, a basement, something like that, some kind of way for you to maintain information coming in. You need to know the timeline on this tornado event. You don't want to be emerging from your safe place too soon. There were some folks that found this out on April 27th, 2011. I understand that some tornado events happened early in the day, and then a lot of folks were under the impression that, well, we're, okay, it's over with. It's noon. It's over with. We're done. Well, it wasn't. And the sun actually came out. It turned out to be a pretty day for a little while. But the weather meteorologist experts were able to say, no, we're not done. There's more coming. And they were right. So keep your line of information as open and as active and current as possible. You need to stay informed. Now, in our closet that she mentioned a few minutes ago, we can actually hear the television in the next room. But if we were to lose the cable, not able to hear the radio, hear the television, we could bring that television station live coverage up on a telephone and be able to watch in our closet. Something else to think about, too, is head coverage. I do know some folks that have football helmets for their sons and daughters. It's better than nothing. Bicycle helmets. A bicycle helmet for everyone in the family would be good. Cover your head because head trauma is a very serious type of injury, and if you can put something between you and something flying around, a bike helmet, a hard hat, a football helmet, something that's going to have some kind of protection to it would be a great idea. Absolutely. Also, you need to have the proper footwear. You need to have your feet covered. When you come out safe and sound from your tornado event, you may emerge into a completely messed up neighborhood and you've got to walk out. Now, you may find that there's exposed nails, there's glass, there's shards of brick, things you don't want to flip-flop or barefoot over. So have some proper shoes on your feet. Right. If your house is hit and you have a major amount of damage, you're going to have debris on the floor. If you go outside, roofing may be blown off and have nails in it. Sturdy, hard sole shoes for everybody that's in there. You've also got to think about... This is where your prepping comes into play. You've got to think about your prep situation for the aftermath. 
and the aftermath is no power, no electricity, no heat in the winter, no air conditioning in the summer. You'll need water and snacks, and you'll need something to keep your small kids occupied. They're going to need to have something to get their minds busy and not be fearful, and you've got to maintain your own. You need to occupy those little minds, and, you know, you could be in there for a while if this is one of those long track days and you happen to be one sitting right on that squall line and it just keeps coming and coming and coming and coming. You may be in that shelter for some time, and so having some snacks in there is a good thing to have. Absolutely. Another thing is lighting. You know, in a tornado, you're very likely to lose the power, and especially if you've got small children in there, they they don't like the darkness, the sudden darkness especially. And so if you've got a glow stick to light up the shelter area, the safe place area, also have some flashlight in there that you can come out with if when it's all over and you come out it's very likely to be dark and you don't want to have to be rummaging through the house trying to find where the flashlights are you might know where they are but you may have debris between you and that location so take a flashlight or a pre-stage a flashlight or other lighting devices in that safe space. But don't use anything with open flame. This is not the place to be using candles. This is not the place to be using propane lanterns. Oftentimes in tornadoes, gas lines get ruptured and you don't want to have an explosion secondary to the tornado. Something else to think about is some sort of signaling device, a coach's whistle for example, especially one of the good ones, you can hear that coach whistle over and above a lot of other different sounds. Or one of those portable air horn devices, something to let someone that might be in a rescue role, maybe their first responders are coming through the neighborhood and they're calling out your name or they're calling out the neighbor's name or they're calling just for anyone to answer. Or every 15 minutes, if you're trapped in that area, just every 15 minutes, let out a little blast on that air horn every now and then to let people know that you're in there. Another good thing to have is a two-way radio. Now, if you can imagine uh, FRS radios, and we've talked about those on here before, They're a good short-range option. There's no license required. You can get them at a big box store. But imagine if the entire community, if your entire neighborhood had an FRS radio, kept it charged, took it to the shelter, took it to the safe place with them, and said, we'll be on this channel if a tornado hits so that anybody can get help if they're trapped in their safe space. And you could even use that to check on neighbors without necessarily having to go to their house. In a very short period of time, you could check on a tremendous number of people. Also, the use of the ham radio or the amateur radio. We've talked about ham radio before. Mark and I both are licensed ham radio operators. And many times ham radio may be the only form of communication that can be taking place if landlines are down and cell towers are down. Ham radio is not down. And so ham radio operators will often be the first on the scene for communication 
to try to get messages out, to let the Red Cross know that such and such is okay, and get a message out to someone maybe in another state. Or, or to just state. simply, and we saw this on April 27th, ham radio operators were getting medical help for people who were trapped in houses. Now, keep in mind, the tornado damage is usually somewhat limited in scope. By that, I mean you don't find too many tornadoes that are three miles wide, okay? Or doing a 1,000 miles worth of damage. Right. You know, it's but a lot smaller than that. Usually, the, what I'm saying here is usually there is a repeater outside of the actual damage area. Now, if it loses power, it has backup power that will usually go 24, 48 hours anyway, but you could reach a repeater that is outside of the actual damage area. Something to think about, too, if you have got a go bag, would be changes of clothing for everyone in your household, including yourself, of course. And perhaps even a second bag that has a thumb drive of your important documents, for example, your insurance documents, your identification documents, your banking documents, you may want those backed up on a thumb drive, something that's easy and small to transport and would be usable in another computer elsewhere. Exactly. And and actually, you could put these in some type of snap-top container and keep it in your safe area. Imagine in the middle of the night, tornado warning goes off, you jump up, put your house coat on, run into your safe place, Tornado hits, you're damaged extensively, and now you come out and you don't know where you left your wallet or where you left your wallet is not where your wallet is now. So your identification is somewhere out there in that pile. So we may need to have a copy of our identification in that snap top box. We can have that thumb drive that you're talking about to have those documents scanned and inside that and have some cash. All of your debit cards were in your wallet. Your wallet got blown away. You might want to have some cash in there. There may be some damage in the area, and the store may be able to sell certain items, but they can't use, they can't accept debit cards at this point or credit cards, and they can only sell for cash sales. So have some cash in there as well. Some normal prepping items to have, not necessarily stored in your safe place, would be water storage. And what I'm talking about here are, is an aftermath of an actual tornado event. Let's just assume you've been through it and now you are part of the recovering and getting restored from the damage. Yeah, you're, you're talking about the aftermath of the tornado. Maybe you're not horribly damaged. Maybe you're without power. Maybe you're without water. And this is where your regular, normal prepping items come into play. But now, if you're not prepped, if you're not a regular prepper, then you need to have that water storage. You need to go ahead and get some shelf-stable foods. Have enough to last at least three days as a minimum. Seven days is better, and 14 days is even better. But be able to have enough food to feed your family for whatever the duration of that recovery period is. If Texas had had seven days of food in every house, they would have come out a lot better than they did. 
and have some alternate ways of cooking. You may just be facing a no-power situation for several days, and it may be quite a while before your home gets back online. So have some ways of cooking that don't require electricity, i.e. your grill, your gas grill, your charcoal grill, your camp stove, your safe use of outdoor cooking, a fire pit, or in some cases, food that would be all right to eat without heating it, something that's already in a can. It's already prepared. You may not like eating it cold, but that's better than starving. Absolutely. Some items to also have for home repairs, or at least for some temporary fixes until the home can get repaired, would be some heavy-duty tarps to put over, for example, a hole in a roof or a wall or where a window was, rolls of plastic, ladders, hammers, nails, your usual types of household tools that would be useful if you've got a home that's still habitable that you don't have to leave, but it may have some holes in it. You're going to need to put some kind of secure covering over some of those holes until you can get construction. Right. And roofing companies, they may not be available for some period of time. Mm -hmm. Plan for those items for temporary home repair. Also, and we've talked about this a number of times, plan for power outages. It may be short-term. It may be several days that you are without power. And you've got to consider your lighting. You've got to consider your heat. But make sure you don't have any gas leaks from the damage. And there are some electrical options, or there are some options that you can use One of those is a generator, and obviously you can use a battery with an inverter to run some things. Now, you can't run your refrigerator off of a 12-volt battery and a 400-watt inverter, but think through those things. Just be planning for power outages as well. Now, there are some cautions that we want to give you here. Now, my personal policy is they're considered live unless confirmed by a lineman, and then they're still live. That's probably pretty good advice there. We're talking about the power lines. Exactly. Power lines that are down, coming to the house, laying in the road. These things, folks, are going to be scattered everywhere, and you want to be very, very careful there. Now, why I say that they're still live even after they've been confirmed is mistakes happen. You know, they could be mistaken. That's not very often, but it could happen. But now here's something that happens quite regularly is people backfeeding the electricity. They plug the generator into their house and they're running their house off of their generator and they didn't cut the main And so they're feeding electricity back into those lines from the house. Yes, and when you buy a generator, it's very clear in the instructions about how to do what he's talking about, how not to backfeed electricity. And yet, in times of stress, a lot of times people can forget. Please don't forget that. If you've got a generator, know exactly what you're doing when you're using it, because that could be a life-threatening event for you to backfeed the electricity. You can have an electrician come in and wire it up to where you can just plug it in and have a transfer switch that cuts the connection between the house and the power lines. Mm -hmm. Now, another way that you can safely do this with that generator, and it really doesn't have to be that big of a generator to run your refrigerator or to run your freezer. 
And so you can plug these devices in individually to that generator and run them for like four hours at a time and keep your food frozen or chilled. What's some other cautions? Some other cautions would be if you're on any type of a natural gas line of any kind, broken gas lines can be a very definite hazard. Generally, the utility companies are going to do everything they can to shut off any type of main feed, but you still need to approach any broken gas line with extreme caution, and don't you try to do any manipulating of the equipment or the pipes or the switches or the transformers out there. And just be sure you don't smell gas before before you start lighting your grill. And we've covered this before too, but just the obvious things that you can see, the debris that may have blown around, shards of wood, glass, metal, nails, the types of things where you'd have to be very, very careful about stepping and, you know, reaching your hands to climb out. If you're hurt or injured, help generally has already been called and is going to be on the way, but have that air horn or that coach's whistle if you can to signal the first responders to come and find you as quickly as possible. Folks, heed the warnings. Leave early. Get in your safe place when you're told that you need to be headed to your safe place. Tornadoes are not something to mess around with. And I know on April 27th, a day that I'll never forget, April 27th of 2011, in the state of Alabama alone, 252 people killed. In the county I was in, 12 of those were killed. One of those was the daughter of a longtime family friend. Be safe, be careful, have a plan, and work your plan. Thank you for listening to the podcast today, and please leave us a five-star review. That helps more people be able to hear this podcast. Share it with your friends and family. You can reach us on Facebook at Practical Prepping. Email at info at practicalprepping.info. And our website is practicalprepping.info. And as always, remember, stuff happens. Stay prepared.